church live out our god will say we believe we believe and the gates of hell will not prevail for the power of god has torn the veil now we know your love will never fail we believe we believe we believe in god the father we believe in jesus christ we believe in the holy spirit and he's given us new Celebrating Christian unity. What in the world does that mean? Are we unified? Well, perhaps not. And we'll see about that. But this, this week of praying for Christian unity has been going on for the past hundred years or so. It, it was first done in an Episcopal church outside of New York City, about 50 miles outside of New York City, in 1908. And it caught on. It became a prayer movement that swept the world. And it's actually an ecumenical movement. That's a fancy word meaning everybody jumped on board. Protestants, Catholics, and any time you get Protestants and Catholics to work together, 
That's got to be a good thing, right? Yeah. And in recent years, there have been two organizations that have promoted this. One, one's a Protestant organization, and that's the World Council of Churches, and the other is a Catholic organization. It's got a big long name because Catholics like to string words together. It's called the Pontifical Council of, for Promoting Christian Unity. Say that three times real fast. But what is this thing called Christian unity? I mean, come on. Take any issue you want, political issue, economic issue, social issue, and you will find Christians on all sides of that issue. You will find Christians pro that issue, con that issue, don't care about that issue. Doesn't make any difference. We are not in unity in politics. We're not in unity about economics. We're not in unity about Christian beliefs, for crying out loud. I mean, when you go to baptize, do you sprinkle, pour, submerge, or dunk? Depends on the church you go to. Some churches will tell you if you don't do it in their church, it doesn't take. Other churches will say, hey, if you've been touched with the Holy Spirit and water at the same time, it works. So what in the world do we mean by Christian unity? We don't really have it. Yet Jesus talked about unity all the time. The scripture that we had read this morning, the selections out of a prayer that Jesus gave at the Last Supper. Let me tell you what was going on in the Last Supper. This was the supper that he had with his 12 disciples on the night that he was going to be arrested, convicted, tried and convicted, later executed through crucifixion, and later yet raised from the dead to change the whole world. But at this particular point, at the Last Supper, Jesus was in the process of telling his disciples he was going to leave them. He was going back to his Father in heaven. And naturally, they were a little concerned about that. And as they're discussing this, after he tells them this, he decides to pray. And the prayer that he gave is recorded in John chapter 17. It's a little longer than what was read because if we read the whole thing, we'd be here till noon, and I figured some people might not like that. So I took selections out of there that I thought was relevant to this thing called Christian unity. And I think that's where we're going to understand what Jesus meant by unity. Because in that prayer, he hit the theme of unity at least three different times. So what did he have to say? I'd like to go through that scripture again and talk about what Jesus was saying. Well, he started out in verse 1. He said, after Jesus said this, and that's after he told his disciples he was leaving them, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Now, that may sound like an egotistical statement, but it's not. Jesus is saying, Father, glorify me 
in my death and resurrection so I can turn it around and glorify you. Everything Jesus did, no matter what people said to him or about him, he turned around and pointed to the Father. So that he isn't talking about his glorification for his own sake. He's talking about his glorification so that he can glorify the Father. And he goes on. For you have granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you, gave, you have given him. Why did Jesus come to earth? To grant eternal life. To whom? Says to everyone that the Father gave to him, which is basically all believers. And what is this eternal life? He defines that in verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In other words, knowing is a biblical term for having a relationship with. Knowing intimately in a relationship. And this is what he's saying eternal life is. It's a relationship with God for eternity. And that's a perfect relationship. One which on our own we've all lost because we've turned away from God. In verse 6 through about 19, he kind of goes over what he has done in God's name, in the Father's name, while he's been on earth. He's told the people about God. He's told them how to obey God. He's told them about God's desire for a relationship with them. And he's also told his disciples, trained them, so that they can continue to tell this message after he leaves. And then in verse 20, he gets to the point. And this is the crux to the whole prayer. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who's that? Well, let's see. After Jesus went back to heaven... The disciples went all over the Roman Empire carrying his message to everybody that would listen. Those people, in turn, carried the message to other people and other generations, right on down to you and me. Jesus is praying here about you and me and all other believers. And what's he want for them? That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Why is it so important that the world believes that God sent Jesus? Because Jesus is the one who points to God and eternal life. And he's saying that we should all be one with him, with the Father, and he has this almost nonsensical, I'm in you, you're in me, and we're in them. What does that mean? Well, he goes on to explain that towards the end of his prayer. In verse 25, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. The disciples know 
the believers know that they have sent him. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that, and here is what this whole thing is about, in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What Jesus is saying is we are in unity in love. That's what Christian unity is about. It's not about politics. It's not about agreeing on what social issues we should tackle. Those are all important things. But that's not what we're here for. We're here because God loved us. It says so in John 3.16. Remember that one? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And what is eternal life? A relationship with God forever. That's what Christian unity is. Love of God, love of each other, and love of humanity. This thing that we've been celebrating for 100 years is a theme that is over 2,000 years old. The theme is God loves us. And if he loves, and if we love him, he will literally move heaven and earth to bring us back together. Christian unity is love. Amen.
endures. His love endures forever. Again. See you. 